as we were all treated with uh, um, Daddy's Gonna Buy Me a Mockingbird, um, which is in the hymnal. Um, it's in the back of the hymnal, but it's, but it's in there. Um, I, I heard Jimmy say something that I, that I wanted to correct, really, because he was talking about Dr. Young's series in legalism. And this is really not a series about legalism. Um, it's a series about grace. And legalism and antinomianism are both aberrations of grace. Uh, we we want to come to, once, once we've damned both ends of that spectrum, we, we want to come to um, a, a richer and fuller and, I hope, a completer understanding of what grace is. But to do that, um, yes, I have for some time now, as you well know, been, um, been trying to expose the, the, um, what I think is the ugliness of legalism and uh, the fact that a little bit of the Pope lives in all of us. You know, we, we all have a little bit of a Pope inside of us. We want to be the Pope. Um, but uh, because um, some of you have been uh, in and out, and I just wanted to remind you how we got to or where, where, how all this happened. Um, we started, uh, we're in a, a study of the book of Romans. And in the fall, we were in Romans chapter 14, in which you find the mention of both of these things, um, uh, both ends of the spectrum, although not by the names that I'm giving them. But uh, both, both uh, poles of the spectrum are represented in Romans 14. From there, I, I took us to Mark chapter 7, where Jesus really um, condemns a godless legalism that is, that is really an, um, a, a very ugly thing by substituting um, human invention for, for God's laws, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then from there, um, at, after Mark 7, we, I raised this eagle, uh, issue of legalism versus antinomianism. And um, that's where we are now. We spent several weeks on this legalism thing. And, and last week, if you weren't able to be with us, we, we finally got to this end of the spectrum. And, and um, um, I, maybe I spent too, too much time um, on legalism. I, I don't know. But I, I, I think, I, I don't know that I can speak for you. And, and maybe you won't relate to this. But I think the default mode in all of us is legalism. I think um, left to ourselves, we're always going to kind of, um, we're always going to respond legally. We're, there's always going to be a, um, a law kind of response. I, I, I wanted to show you one other verse, and I would like for you to see this concerning legalism. It's in Jeremiah chapter 5. So if you've got a Bible, do turn there and, and let me show you just, just two quick verses um, which I think sums up fairly well what I've sought to say in, um, in my treatment and, and attack on legalism. But uh, it's Jeremiah chapter 5, and it's, it's a rather pathetic statement. Um, Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 32 verses. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule at their direction. My people love to have it so. But what will you do when the end comes? 
you know, the, the people in charge of the religious establishment are saying all kinds of foolish, phony stuff, and the people love it like that. <laughs> Is that not tragedy? Um, and, and what I see so often, particularly in the South, is, um, is a legal mindset, and, and, and people sit idly by, and, and nobody, nobody opposes. And, and I wonder if, if really they love it like that? Surely not. But that said... Um, We've looked at legalism. I introduced to you last week this whole idea of antinomianism. And um, you may recall that what I sought to do last week was this. I, I sought to tell you a story about a man who did precisely as he chose to do. It was the whole story about David and Bathsheba. I tried to show you uh, the consequences of what he did of a man living uh, or doing precisely as he chose to do. Now, I, I must make a brief confession. Um, that language, living precisely as he chose to do, was not original with me. It came out of a book. It came out of a book written by Lewis Sperry Schaefer. The, the title of the book is Grace, colon, The Glorious Theme, on page 345. And on that page, you find this statement. The Christian's liberty is to do precisely as he chooses. <laughs> now, gang, um, Lewis Sperry Schaefer is a brother. I mean, he is, he's, in the, he's in the family. Uh, but, and I'm sure that maybe I have ripped, uh, there's, it's a possibility that I have ripped this out of the context of what it was found in, on page 345, and maybe he intended to say something or it's going in another direction. But that sentence standing by itself, the Christian's liberty is to do precisely as he chooses, is an awful sentence. Now, again, um, uh, I, I may be misrepresenting it because I, I, I'm, I'm not telling you what was around it and I really don't know what was around it. But if that sentence is isolated and, and, and taken on the merits of the words, it is a horrible statement. A Christian's liberty, freedom, is to do precisely as he chooses. And so last week, I showed you the consequences of somebody doing precisely as he chose to do. And that was David and with Bathsheba, and that turned into a big old mess. Well, I would suggest to you that that statement, the Christian's liberty is to do precisely as he chooses, is a wonderful um, calling card of the, the position of antinomianism. That's what the, the antinomian would promote, that the Christian's liberty is to do precisely as he chooses to do. Now, if you were here last week... Um, um, my closing sentence was this. This was my closing sentence. I said, grace has rules. This is kind of a funny little uh, vignette. At least it was for me. Um, 
I, I don't think he would mind me even mentioning his name. Um, I don't think. He's not here tonight. Um, so don't tell him. Um, Ron Goss is a dear brother, just a dear good guy. And, and he comes from his, at his self-admission. Um, he comes from a very legalistic background. He is, was raised all his life in a Baptist world. I'm not saying that all Baptist, but it's his Baptist world was a very legalistic. And he said, Jimmy, I've been sitting there for six weeks and I kept saying, I know he's going somewhere. I know he's going somewhere and just be patient with him. Okay, yeah, he's going somewhere. And then last week, when you said grace says rules, then I knew it, you, that, that, that you had gotten there. I mean, it was, it was sweet because if you do isolate one from the other, you're going to walk away with a, with a kind of an imbalanced view of things. And so what we're trying to do now is say, not only is legalism an aberration of grace, but so is antinomianism. You, you, you don't want to be bound by unnecessary law. That's legalism. But you, you cannot and must not uh, come to the place where you say, if, if this is fair to do to this sentence, it is a true sentence, I'm just worried about the context of it, but you cannot come to the place where you say, my liberty is to do precisely as I choose. If that desire um, is yours, that is a, a life of no law, which today is, is being presented under the guise of grace. That is, grace means there are no, I can do precisely as I want to. If, if your understanding um, allows you to do precisely as you choose, then you're going to run up against some pretty tough textual opposition when you come to try and study your Bible. If, if, if your insistence is you want to do precisely as you choose to do, let me just warn you that you're going to be opposed, not by me, but you're going to be uh, opposed by some pretty stiff um, texts. And I want to show you just a couple of them and, and comment on that, and then one other point, we're done. But So if you've still got a Bible uh, available to you, uh, go with me to 1 Corinthians 9, and let me show you just uh, one consideration for you if your desire is, is to do precisely as you choose to do. If that is your, if that is your determination then you need to face this, this um, admonition on the part of the Apostle Paul. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, where he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became so, as one under the law. Um, to those outside the law I became as one outside the law. Uh, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak. That I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that I by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Now guys, he opens uh, in verse 19 by saying, free you bet I am. 
Indeed I am. Indeed you are free. But what you see here on the part of the Apostle Paul is a willingness to forfeit many of those, his freedoms in the interest of reaching people who, who apparently would possibly misunderstand the, the exercise, uh, exercise of his legitimate freedoms. He is more than willing to lay those aside in the interest of reaching them, and he is, he is oh so willing to bondage himself, um, who is, I mean, he is, he is legitimately free, but willing to forfeit those freedoms in the interest. So, so the, the stance that I am free to do is precisely as I want to do. Paul says, mm, free, yeah, but I am here eager to do whatever's necessary, whatever that would, that would uh, allow me to reach people who would misunderstand, perhaps, the exercise of my legitimate freedoms. Now, in the next chapter, in 1 Corinthians 10, let me show you another kind of a twist on the same thing. It's in 1 Corinthians 10 at verse 27, where he says, If one of the unbelievers invites you to, a, to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if, one, some, if someone says to you, This has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. Take your freedom and stuff it. That's kind of my interpretation. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience, I do not mean your conscience, but his. For my, why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of that for which I give thanks. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do to the glory of God, give no offense to Jews, etc., etc. Guys. Notice again that Paul's liberty is limited due to the exercise of someone else's conscience. And he, 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 makes no, he makes no complaint about that. He's not whining and complaining about... He is, he is someone who is eager to limit whatever freedoms might be his. Look, look at verse 33. Um, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Can I seek my own good? Here's the principle. Can I seek my own good at the expense of others? No. Those are boundaries on, on legitimate freedoms that might be mine. And so, so this I would like for you to, I'd like to point out, guys. What you're, what, you're, what you're seeing in these two texts, I think, indirectly, is an exposure of the biggest, well, maybe not the biggest, but one of the big flaws in antinomianism. And the big flaw I'm pointing to is self. That is... I am so determined to have my freedoms that I don't care who gets hurt as I'm operating within my legitimate freedoms. 
I elevate myself when I think you know that the very essence of the Christian message is a death to self. But if I want to do precisely as I choose, if I insist on that, what you're doing is I am going to have my way and I don't give a hoot who gets hurt in the process of my so doing. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the enhancement. It's the elevation of self-interest above everything else. And oh, how ugly is that, is it not? Now, guys, um, I, I need to comment on, because when, when you're talking about these two passages and another one in 1 Corinthians 8, um, the whole issue of the weaker brother a principle arises that Paul is saying, you know, I'm not going to do these things, that these people are going to, it's going to cause their, there's going to be offensive to their consciences, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that weaker brother principle is a very legitimate consideration among Christians. However, <laughs> that whole weaker brother thing can, can turn into some real manipulation. It can be used as a real, uh, it, it can really be abused. One of the tricks of the legalist is to, to over-employ this weaker brother principle. Well, you can't do that. I had a man tell me this week, <laughs> I don't think he's here, but he wouldn't mind if I told him. I had a man tell me this week that he has a friend that will not drink anything in public in a cup. Particularly a red solo cup. Um, because you don't ever know what's in here, do you? And so his concern is, and so he will drink a Diet Coke out of a can if he can get it out of the machine. But he would never drink anything out of a cup. Now, gang, um, in my humble opinion, that's the weaker brother principle gone to seed. There's a, there's a point at which the weaker brother has to be told, it's time to grow up. Um, however, I hope you haven't missed my, 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 major cons- my major point here. I'm trying to address the ugliness of this notion that I have liberty to do precisely as I choose. No, you don't. No, you don't. And if you insist on that, then I'm suggesting that your real issue is that, what, is that you want what you want when you want it, and that is a very ugly expression of wanting a life, that, wanting a world that orbits around you. Now, that's, that's just the, the first notion I got. One more, and then we're done for the evening. I want to point out one more error of antinomianism, or um, however, whatever you want to call it, but it's, its official term is antinomianism. Um, and I want to suggest to you that the fundamental flaw in, in, in antinomianism is mindlessness. Now, you're going to have to stay with me, and you're going to have to think a little or are you going to miss what, what I'm trying to say? I, I'm saying that at the heart of antinomianism is mindlessness. 
Now, I'm not saying when I say mindlessness um, that, oh, I, 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 just, I just didn't think, oops. That's not what I'm saying. I want to show you what I'm saying when I say mindlessness. So if you've got your Bible still open, go to the book of Proverbs, chapter 29. Now, uh, I've, I've got a, this is an interesting little text. Um, is, do we have a King James Bible in here? Yeah, Ron, where's Ron Goss when you need him? Uh, well, Harris has got one. Um, are, Harris, are, are you at Proverbs 29? Are you at Proverbs 29? Okay, Harris, I want you to read uh, Proverbs 29, 18, very loudly. Okay, all right, uh, guys, this is a text that's very unfortunate because it's been represented for decades, and you've gone to missions conferences where Proverbs 29, 18 has been placarded up in the front of the, of the sanctuary, and, and what the, the, the first half of it has been used, where there's no vision, the people perish. And so it's been used to, to, to rally the troops and say, we have to have a vision for ministry and we have to go yada, yada, yada. Ladies and gentlemen, that is, this shows you the difficulty in translations. Those of you who do not have a King James Bible, I'm reading out of the ESV, look at what it says. Let me read you the ESV. <clears throat> Where there is no prophetic vision, the people Cast off restraint. Some of your translations say, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint, or something like that. The point of this text is, guys, when when there is no injection of the mind of God into a, a, a church or a national situation... The reaction of the people is that they go unrestrained. What people need is to hear what God has said. And when they don't hear that, they go crazy. They go wild. This has nothing to do, ladies and gentlemen, with with a missions emphasis. It simply has to do with the necessity of all of us hearing what God thinks. Because when you don't, the tendency is, the tendency is for us to run wild. Gang, I'm saying that the fundamental flaw in antinomianism is mindlessness. That is, because the antinomian has become a law unto himself, I do precisely as I I choose, because he has become a law to himself, there is no uh, mind of God that he's consulting. There is no voice of God that he's listening to. He has not... Um, considered what God may think about his choice. And so instead of considering 
those things that God may have said. He is mindless. He has no um, input on his particular situation from God because he's a law to himself. And so he lives any old way he wants to, which is the nature of antinomianism. It's mindless. Gang, in the life of the antinomian who, who considers that he can do exactly as he pleases to do, nothing is denounced. Under the guise of a message of grace, nothing is denounced. There are no boundaries. And, and, and one arrives at such a position because he's not thinking. That is, at least he's not thinking in accord with the revealed mind, will, and heart of God that's, that's uh, outlined in the scriptures. And the result is no restraint. Where there's no revelation, where there's no prophetic utterance, where God's word has not been spoken, people go unrestrained. Oh, I've just described the United States. I, I've been told, and I'm, I, that, may, that may be true. I, I think you make a good point, Bob. But, but gang, the great need for the Christian is for God to speak into our lives and listen to what he has to say. And then we're steered. But when there's none of that available, how do we live? Well, we live any old way we want to live. We live unrestrained lives where the voice of God is not being heard or consulted or considered, where the mind is not being instructed by God's revelation, um, men become a law to themselves and they live unrestrained lives. And they do it, I mean, in the church at least, they do it in the name of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. And so we accept everything in the name of, I guess it's the name of tolerance. Because there's this void of God's mind being injected into the conversation. Um, gang, Somebody said this, and it, this is too brilliant for me to have said, but tolerance is a genuinely harmful force when it becomes a, a euphemism for moral exhaustion. Tolerance is a harmful force when it becomes a euphemism for moral exhaustion. We tolerate anything. And the thing that's missing is the voice of God being spoken into the conversation, into the debate. And, and I think Bob has a point. That's why our country is running mad. G.K. Chesterton, who is one of my heroes, Chesterton said, tolerance becomes the virtue of people 
who do not believe in anything. So, we, we, make, we become a law to ourselves. We have long since left any kind of instruction that God might give us. We, 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 we say our position is, is in the name of love and acceptance and forgiveness. And, or, or even, which is the saddest one of all to me, this is, this is grace. Because I do as precisely as I want. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not grace. That's why I'm telling you, this is not a series about legalism or antinomianism. It's about grace. It's about two opposite misunderstandings of the beauty of grace. And to live precisely as I, as I choose to live is not grace, ladies and gentlemen. It's an ugly kind of self-promotion. In, in essence, the antinomian outgods God in the name of grace. That is, he goes beyond grace. And I'm going I'm to close you with this. Um, you know, guys, years ago, uh, it was in 2001, actually, uh, a guy came here to speak. His name was Tommy Elkin. Tommy Elkin had a, a counseling ministry here in Memphis, and he's a good guy, good brother. Um, I mean, several of you might have seen Tommy Elkin. He was, he's a good man. He, he finally retired and, and moved to Jackson, Mississippi, I think. I think he's down in Jackson. He was on staff. I mean, after he retired, independent, tried to hire him, and he came and worked for a few months, but finally left there. I mean, he, 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 he really did well as a counselor because he was, he was esteemed. He, he was good. I mean, he, you know, not all counselors are good, but Tommy Elkin was a good guy. And, you know, just kind of sane, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so we had him here in 2001 for this seminar. I don't even know what the seminar was about. I don't know whether it was, I think it was some kind of family parenting thing, but did you? And, and Tommy Elkin made a statement there and then, you know, got in his car and drove off. And, and I had to pick up the pieces for weeks after that because people were just absolutely shocked out of their seats. And, and the, the, um, the thing that he said, um, sorry, ready to get shocked out of your seats? The thing that Tommy Alkins said is, there is no such thing as the unconditional love of God. And Tommy Elkin is right. And all this banter among evangelicals about the un... Do you want me to prove that? Let me ask you a question. Who is saved? Those who repent and believe? You know what those are? Those are conditions. God doesn't embrace the impenitent and the unbelieving. The gospel requires that you repent and believe. And so all of this nonsense about the... Uh, now, guys, l- l- let me say this. If you have stepped inside the household of faith, if you, are, if you are born of the Spirit, if you're His now, and you do something really bad, I just want you to know that God doesn't withdraw His love from you. And in that sense, you might want to call that unconditional love. But gang, the idea that God places no conditions on the entrance into the kingdom is foolishness. And so in the name of this sloppy, outgracing God, we, we, we call that, well, we call it grace? It's not grace, ladies and gentlemen. 
It's the concentration on selfish interest at your expense, no matter who gets hurt, I'm doing what I want to do. Because, um, I'll read it to you as I close. The Christian's liberty is to do precisely as he chooses. It's very hurtful, ladies and gentlemen. It's very damaging. It's very dangerous. And I would encourage you to um, to reject such a notion. Our Father, I pray that you will uh, instruct us and instruct us well. Would you teach us indeed about how we are to think concerning every issue? Would you... Um, Would you enter into the discussion via your word so that we can think your thoughts after you? Would you you stop us in the midst of our our self-interested pursuits to listen long enough to what you've said so that our choices would be in response to what we've heard you say as opposed to what we want to do? Lord, Grant us um, a fresh, a legitimate, and a firm grasp of this thing called grace, because indeed, it is a glorious theme. And we ask, our, ask it tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.